We're going to be in Ephesians 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and then we'll sit for the word of the teacher. We're only doing two verses, so I won't make you stand long. (laughs) Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And while you're standing, I, I'm going to read these verses out of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Starting with verse 14, it says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us, listen, and through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge into every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Everyone say fragrance of Christ, please. Fragrance of Christ. Among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one were the aroma of death. And to the other were the aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Uh, the, the thing I want you to remember from that is we are the fragrance of Christ. The fragrance of Christ. And as we read earlier, when we walk in love, we are a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. We are the fragrance of Christ. And we're going to talk about that. But let's ask the Lord to bless our study. God, we we do ask that you would bless our time. Holy Spirit, please lead us into all truth and prepare our hearts for communion. Lord, bless your people. Thank you for this wonderful day that we're opening up your living word. Cause us to come alive to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, sit down, relax, take a load off. As we've been going through uh, the the letter to the church at Ephesus and studying what the Apostle Paul has said to this church that he deeply loved and ministered to for over three and a half years. We, we take a look um, at Ephesians 5 and, and one of the things that we noticed last week when we were finishing up our study of chapter 4, the idea of not grieving the Holy Spirit and this idea of putting away wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and that we were talking about being kind to one another. Um, and, and that when the Lord would declare to us uh, his heart that we're not to steal any longer and we're not to be angry with one another and we're not to lie and we're to walk in righteousness and, and in holiness and that we're not to allow corrupt communication to come out of our mouth. We're to work hard. We're, we're to do those things that bring edification to the body of Christ. And, and one of the things that Paul concludes with is he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you, all malice to be removed. And then he says, and be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. He's speaking to the church. He says, be kind to one another. But he concludes chapter four by saying, not only be kind to one another, be tenderhearted. And then he says these telling words, and this is so important in our Christian walk, forgiving one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Now, one of the things we've studied many times is that the, the one thing that God doesn't tolerate from his children, if you want to carry the name of Christ, and oftentimes growing up my family, you'd hear from my father, you're a McCoy and McCoys don't do that, right? Some of you had that with your last names and your parents. You're from this family and you don't walk that way. You don't do those things. Oh, the Smiths may do that, but not the McCoys. The Joneses may do that, but not the McCoys. Well, in our case, we're the family of God. We're children of 
of, of God the Father in heaven. And when he speaks to his children, he says, we forgive one another in our family. That's not an option. That's a commandment. And I'm going to give you an example of how to do that. You forgive one another as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. The way my son died in your place to take the multitude of your sins. The way I've forgiven you for all of your cosmic treason and your attack upon those things that I hold dear. I forgive you for the death of my son. I forgive you that he had to die. I forgive you that this world was plagued with sin because of our disobedience. I forgive you. I forgive you that all creation groans because of our presence on the face of the earth. That he's waiting for the redemption of man because if he's to remove sin, he has to remove sinners. And he allows sin to exist so that sinners can come to repentance. And while he's waiting, all of creation groans. I forgive you, God says. But as I've forgiven you, so forgive one another. It's amazing as we see the parable of the man who was forgiven the $10 million and he says, I'll, I'll pay you everything I owe you. And he couldn't pay it back in 10 lifetimes, but the master forgave him. And then that same individual been forgiven $10 million goes out and puts his hand around the neck of the guy who owed him $10 and said, pay me up. And then the other servants witnessed this and then they went back and told the master, you know, the guy you just forgave $10 million for? Yes. He's out there and he's got his hand on the throat of the guy who owes him 10 bucks and he's demanding he pays him back. He says, send him back here. When he comes back in in the parable, that's when the master calls this guy wicked. He didn't call him wicked when he was in debt $10 million. He didn't call him wicked when he proclaimed that he'd pay him back every penny he owed when he knew he couldn't do it in 10 lifetimes. He didn't call him wicked then. He called him wicked when he wouldn't forgive. What's God saying to us? God doesn't tolerate unforgiveness in the lives of his children. You see, forgiveness is that thing that hinders us. We get hurt. We hold a grudge. We want justice. Be careful. Be careful. We want justice for those who offend us, but we want mercy when we offend others. We want justice when we've been wronged, but we want forgiveness when we've been the one who's done the, the, the wronging. That's the right word, isn't it? And God says to the level you forgive, you will be forgiven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so with that understanding of the text, God is declaring through the Apostle Paul, it's kind of like an Oreo cookie, and the top portion of the Oreo cookie is, I want you to forgive. I want you to forgive. And then he adds the other portion of it, and he says, and I want you to walk in love. Forgiveness and walking in love and the center portion of that is you are an imitator of Christ. And so when Paul points out all of these things that, that Christians are to do in the power of God's spirit, he then begins chapter five with that word, therefore, therefore, with the understanding of everything I've laid out for you, that God desires of his children being a member of this family. Therefore, with that understanding, therefore, with that understanding, he says, be followers of God as dear children. I love that. Not just followers. Another way to look at that is to be imitators. To be imitators of God as dear children. The word in the Greek is mimitos or mimos, which means mimic. Imitators. Uh, mimes. You know how a mime follows you? They, they get irritating, but you know how they do that? And they, they copy everything you do. I want you to be a mimos, a, a, an imitator copycat now yesterday in the same room there wasn't an empty seat 
It was so filled that the foyer had a great number of people out in the foyer watching the televisions as we celebrated the life of my friend Bob Gainsley. His mom and dad were sitting in these two seats in the front, Chuck and Irene, and they're, they're older. Chuck's in his 80s and Irene's in her 70s. I had them stand up and turn around and look at, at, at the congregation. I said, I said, for every young person, every student who's been affected by Mr. Gainsley's life, who's been deeply touched, would you please stand up? It was, it was, it was amazing. Every aspect of the room lifted. <sighs> Kids there weeping. And to watch the two of them, Chuck and Irene, their hearts just deeply touched as they witnessed things they'd never known about their son as all these lives lifted in transformation before their eyes. And then as they turned around, they sat down, and the rest of the congregation sat down, and we had a time of sharing. When we got through the adults, which were a little difficult to deal with, then the kids came up, and that's when it really took off. And the kids were lined up on both sides. And the things they shared about how this man transformed their lives. As a public school teacher called by God, uh, one of the kids came up and he said, you know, in our wood shop, he would have Bibles open for free reading and they would be on his desk and he wasn't ashamed of it. This guy was unreal. Kids would come up and say, I lost my dad. He was the first one to call me and come alongside me and love on me. He's the one who shared the Lord with me for the very first time. A Korean boy came up and shared about how he was so amazed by Mr. Gainsley's testimony of Christ in a public school. One young girl said, I would have never have graduated. And he followed me through and got me to graduate. Kids met me out in the parking lot in tears. And each one of them had a role model. Somebody they could pick in life and say, I want to be like him. I want my life to mimic, mimitas him. We all have them. We pick people in life that are bigger than life and we want to emulate them. We want to glean from them. We want to follow them. I couldn't have asked for a more timely occurrence to have my brother come up. The second service won't get that privilege because Lauren's leaving to go back to Redlands. But he was, for me, bigger than life. My brother was nine years older than me. I remember my first day at junior high school, my brother driving me to school. I thought it was so cool. And he pulls up in his Mustang. He says, you want to ride to school? And I thought, this will be so great going to junior high with my older brother. I'm going to be BMOC, big man on campus. Oh, boy. We pull up in his Mustang, and the buses are letting out, and the quad is full of kids. And I'm just, just bigger than life. And my brother, bless his heart. He begins to lean on the horn. Meep, meep. All the kids turn. And you know, in junior high, the last thing you want is attention. And I'm shrinking in the passenger seat, and he's leaning on the horn. And then he starts to yell, hey, girls, hey, girls, big Bobby's here. Most kids would never want to live again. I learned something that day. Sit up in the seat and pretend like you deal with this every day. Because yeah, I did. Uh, anywho. And you open up the door and you just walk out with a smile on your face as though life is just all good. And you just learn to deal with those things of adversity. And then you watch as the one that you wanted to worship and follow. All of a sudden you don't anymore. 
No, I'm kidding. But I have to tell you, he was the first person in my entire life I saw open a Bible. You have no idea how compelling that is to a young mind. For Mr. Gainsley to have those Bibles open on his desk at school, you know how compelling that is? Everybody wants to look up to somebody. The Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I got my eyes on somebody. And, in, and until you can understand how to walk in that realm spiritually, to keep your eyes on Christ, to be able to see him through his word and to behold his glory and to walk in that presence, until then, if you're drawn to me by this fragrance of Christ that's diffused in your life and it's a sweet-smelling aroma, I don't know, have you, you ever driven down T.O. Boulevard and you go by the meat locker when they're cooking barbecue? I'm like, no, 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 the smoke and you're like I get it God I know why you love a burnt sacrifice it's so good I love this I love you I want it all barbecue draws me my wife's perfume it draws me there's this a, a fragrance this aroma that just draws you when the scripture says that that our lives are, are a sweet-smelling aroma to God. <clears throat> Excuse me. A sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. How does that work? Well, the picture says that as we're imitators of God, as dear children, not just as children, but dear children, beloved children, we're His. We're in His family. We do what He does. You're a McCoy. You walk as a McCoy does. Well, you're children of God, not just children of God. You're dear children of God. And we walk as imitators of God. How is that? How do you imitate? I mean, if the scriptures were to stop at verse 1 and say, imitate the Lord, you think, well, what does that mean? And as you think about that concept, I come to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And in chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, he who does not love does not know God. And then it says this, for God is, and then it's a blank. Now, you could, you could use this sentence, God is, and you could fill in a number of things if you wanted to be an imitator of God to come up with, you know, how I'm supposed to mimic him, mimitos. God is omniscient? Nah, I can't do that. God is omnipresent? No, no. God is, right, all-powerful, all-knowledgeable as we go through all these things. I love what it says in 1 John 4. It says, God is love. Love. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Now, love, that's such a mushy concept. You know, all you need is love. <laughs> See, I can sing too. <laughs> all you, and, and, that, and, and it's, I, I've often said this, it's the most overused and misunderstood word in the English language. We want to receive it, we want to give it, but we have no idea what it is. And I've said this countless times, and some of you probably are bored of it, but I'm going to do it again. I can use that same word in two sentences, and it means something totally different. Watch. I love my wife, and I love my job. Does it mean the same thing? I hope not. Right? How about this? I love my wife, and I love my brother. Does it mean the same thing? I mean, I love my brother. Who wouldn't? Isn't he great? 
but I don't love my brother like I love my wife. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? Right? In our language, we have one word to describe the intense concept of love, but the Greeks had, had four key words. Three of those, those definitions are all existent in the scriptures, and one is absent, but that only constitutes less than 2% of the meaning. That which constitutes 98% of the meaning of love is it contained in the New Testament, in the original Koine Greek. Because when the Greeks, the greatest philosophical thinkers of all time, contemplated the idea of love, they didn't just give it one word, they ascribed three. And the first word they gave was eros, and that's a physical love, and it's, and it's a love you have for objects, never for people. You know, you say, I, I love, like I've often said, I, I love this shirt because it makes me look skinny. And some of you are going, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's a love you have for an object because of how it makes you feel. It's, it's a, for objects only, it's a selfish love. And then the second definition, the second definition is this. Not only is there eros, but the second one they use is the opposite of eros, which is agape or agapeo. And that's a selfless love. And it's only intended for human beings. It's the word that was used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Agape was used in greater agape has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. Jesus used this word continually to describe God's love, but the Greeks defined it as a mother's love. It's selfless and it's only intended for humans. It's a love that loves you in spite of. I mean, when our children were born... There, there wasn't much to love. They made noises from both ends and left a mess afterwards. And they were up at the most unreasonable un hours of the night wanting to be fed. When we brought Michael home, the kid was ravenous. And he would cry two in the morning to be fed. Now, I, I wouldn't get up to feed him. I, I couldn't help him. Michelle would get up and, and uh, I, I can just imagine going into his room two o'clock in the morning. Could you... Turn, look at him as he's screaming, going, Michael, nobody eats at two in the morning. Stop it. Or you go back to bed, and I'll feed you at seven with the rest of the children. He's, he's totally into arrows. He doesn't, he, it's all about him. He doesn't care about the fact that Michelle's just given birth to he, The kid was over 10 pounds, and it was all head. He doesn't care that he was born with a huge head and that Michelle hurts in places she never even knew she had. This kid is just, he's just selfish. It's two o'clock in the morning. Feed me. That's Eros. Selfish. And, and he doesn't even, it, you talk about a love for objects. He doesn't even look at Michelle as a human being. He looks at Michelle as an object for his survival. She's the milk wagon. And you contrast his love for Michelle where he's just crying out and wanting something with no concern over who it is because that's an object to me with Michelle's love at getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning, exhausted, hurting, going into a child to pick up who's probably soiled to feed a child. That's God's love. Selfless. Pouring into a child that gives nothing in return. And looking for a glimpse of a smile or a movement of an eye and rejoicing at the transformation of a child growing into maturity. That's how God feels about you. He broods over you like a mother hen over her chicks. But then we come to the third type of love. And that's called phileo. And the Greeks looked at phileo as a mutual love and it was only intended for human beings. We tend to think of it as a brotherly love like the city of Philadelphia, but that's not a proper definition of it. Phileo is the, is the highest form of love. Listen to me. Stay with me. They, they come in and they go out. And you're, you're just, everyone, I watch it. It's crazy. 
That's why when I go to a restaurant and there's a television, I can't sit there because my wife wants to talk to me. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. We're awful, aren't we? We're just conditioned. <laughs> Phileo. Agape is the highest form of love a human being can give. Greater agape has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. Jesus loved you so much he died for you. That's the greatest form of love a human being can give. For God so loved the world, he gave. Now, phileo is the highest form of love a human being can experience. But there's a formula. See, phileo is a mutual love. Jesus talks about it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, be of like mind, having the same love. Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Having the same love, who, who Christ, though being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant unto death, even death on the cross. He humbled himself and did the bidding of the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Everything I do, I do is unto the Father. You see, there's a love there. Christ laid his life down for the church. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. He initiated with agape. And as he, he was bleeding and dying on that cross for the remission of our sins, and as the blood was pouring out of his body, and the life was, was draining, and as the taunts and the mocking was, was at a crescendo, and the spit was upon his face, he declared, Father, forgive them for they know not. I love you this much. He loved us while we hated him. And as he bled and died upon that cross, he didn't die so that mankind could continue to mock him and reject him. He died so that we, like the thief on the cross and the centurion at his feet, could realize that that is a righteous man. As a thief would turn to the other thief on the other side of Christ and say, leave him alone. We deserve what we're getting. He doesn't. As a centurion would fall on his face and realize, what have I done? Oh God, have mercy on me. So great a love brings a man to his knees. When we see that someone would love us that much, that they would lay down our lives, that's why mothers are cherished who tenderly care for their children. That's why the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Because you come to realize the tenderness of that mother. And when you carry the name of a child of God and you want to be a part of that family, you walk in love. And that love is depicted for all the world to see. But the understanding of phileo comes on the knees of that centurion and the heart of that thief. You see, God didn't die so that man would reject him. God died so that we would embrace him. The formula for phileo is A plus A equals phileo. Christ is the initiator. He, A, agapes us. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for a friend. Agape, for God so loved the world, he gave. 
Not that we love God, but that he first loved us, agape. And then we, in response, to add to that formula, A, agape, plus A, us, responding in agape, laying our life down. As I've loved you, so love one another. Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Love one another as I have loved you. And we fall on our knees in service of the King of kings and the Lord of lords in humble humility and service. When this room was packed yesterday and there were people waiting to find a seat and there weren't any left, I turned to the body of Christ at Calvary Chapel and I said, would you please stand and give your seats up? And every member of our congregation got up and moved. That's love. No seats were given. We had vacation Bible school every day this week and it was exhausting and the staff was here and volunteers were here to tear it down and clean it up. And when the Adventist church left at 1.30, they turned this into a room that was resplendent awaiting the arrival of students from El Camino Real High School, many who didn't know the Lord, but sensed the fragrance of Christ by the service of love given to people they had never met. That's what walking in love is. A plus A equals phileo. See, phileo is a mutual love. God, you love me like that? I love you too. I want to serve you and let the world see you. You come up to my wife and you say something to her, she is going to be a wonderful represent, representation of me, and I will be of her. She will represent me well. You will never hear her talk poorly about me. You'll never be able to get her to say something poor about me, ever. You know why? The two have become one. I laid my life down, she laid her life down, and the two have become one flesh. And in losing my life, I've gained a whole new life. I've come to understand the world through the eyes of my wife, and she's been able to see the world through the eyes of me. A little crazy for her, but really awesome for me. <laughs> and that's what the Lord does with us. God, show me how to love like you. Show me how to see things the way you see things. I, I hate camping. But I love going with my wife. When I come home at the end of the day, I don't want to go anywhere. If it was up to me, I'd stay in my home all day. My wife loved to see things. When you go places, she goes, oh my goodness, look at this. Kids, look. And I'm driving home, it's ridiculous. But then when I see it through her eyes and the joy that is manifested, I'm transformed. Life is richer, brighter with her. And I see the world through her eyes because God has given me that ability to understand and experience phileo. By laying my life down and putting aside my selfishness, I can see the world through hers. What you can see in that earthly illustration is that which is to be realized in the heavenly realm. That we're to be imitators of God. That we're to walk in love. This idea of laying our life down. The scripture says, Christ, as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. I close with this as we prepare for communion. I read to you out of 2 Corinthians. And the passage that I read to you in relation to 
to what we're seeing today is in verse 14. It says, now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma to death and to the other the aroma of life to life. You see, when you look at 1 Corinthians 13, it's a beautiful passage that's read at countless weddings. And though I speak of the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. God wants you to know that the attribute that defines Him the clearest is His love. And as His children, we walk in love. And that love is a love that lays its life down. That love is a love that serves. That love is a sweet aroma of sacrifice. Serving those who are unlovely. And yes, many of them will smell it and declare to you to be the aroma of death and reject that which you proclaim. And others will smell it and will be drawn to your life as the room was filled to capacity by those who had smelled the beautiful fragrance of the life of Bob Gainsley. Some were disgusted by it. Those who rejected Christ. I think of the picture of what love is. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. I go through that and I think you can put Christ's name in there and it works. Jesus suffers long and Jesus is kind and Jesus does not envy and Jesus does not parade himself and Jesus is not puffed up and Jesus doesn't behave rudely and Jesus does not seek his own and Jesus is not provoked and Jesus thinks no evil and Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity. And then I go back and I put my name in it and it's awful. (laughs) Rob suffers long. (sighs) Strike one. I was up here yesterday And I was orchestrating folks coming up who wanted to share. One man came up and I said, hold the microphone up. He says, you're being a bit bossy. And then he went on to share. And I was standing over here and some in the room probably could have sensed it. But I was thinking, I don't like him. And I was looking back there at David in the sound booth. I didn't do the hand, but I was sending the signal. And you know, interestingly enough, he was picking up the vibe in his finger. And as, as I listened to him, I, I just, I would, my heart was churning. And I saw a line of people wanting to share, and as he went on and on, and, and I, I just... Love does not behave rudely. Love is not provoked. I have no idea what his story is. I don't know why he was there. I don't know what was going on in his heart. He may have been offended by me and the aroma may have been that of death to him as I had presented the gospel. I don't know. But I do know this. God loves him. God is patient with him. And if I'm to walk in love and be an imitator of Christ, I must do the same.
I'm not to behave rudely. I'm not to keep a record of wrongs. I'm not to collect the blue chip stamps and cash them in and say, you have gone far enough. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. I don't know his story and I haven't walked a mile in his shoes. I have no idea what kind of a day he had. But at times, love requires that it be firm. Jesus fashioned a cord of whips in the temple and said, my father's house is not to be a den of thieves and robbers. My father's house is to be a house of prayer. He turned over the tables. That's love, being firm. There are times where you need to do that. For the young man and said, good master, what must I do to be saved? To obtain eternal life. He says, obey the commandments. He says, I've done all of them since my youth. He says, sell all you have and come follow me, the rich young ruler. And he went away sad. Sometimes love is pointing out that which separates you from God. And when you do that, sometimes you're going to be a sweet aroma of life to those who see it and in humility respond. And to others, you're going to be an irritation going, I can't wait for him to stop preaching so I can go. I didn't want to come anyways. And this whole Christian thing is irritating and I'm not humbling myself to God and I'm not going to serve him. And I don't care how compelling you try to be. I'm not doing it. I get it. I've sat in your seat. I know what it's like to be at enmity with God and at war with him. I know what it's like to sit in that seat and to declare that, God, you're not kind. You took my brother, you took my sister, you took my mother, you took my friend, or you didn't get me into this school, or I didn't get the job I wanted, or I'm losing my house. Where are you? Don't forget. We're breathing his air and drinking his water and living on his land, and everything we have is borrowed and rented. And the only thing you can keep that you can take with you into eternity is a relationship with Jesus. Everything else you're going to have to give back. You came in buck naked and you're going to leave buck naked. And that may be offensive to you to hear me say that. And it may be an aroma of death to you. But I pray as many of those young people yesterday responded that to you it would be an aroma of life. And that for you Christians that are represented in the room, we would take heed of this passage, of these two verses, that we would be imitators of God, that we would walk in love, that the world would know we're Christians by our love for one another and our love for the unlovely. That was a test, and I failed. I even jabbed him. He went back and sat in his, he's back there with his arms folded looking at me, at least I assumed. And I already knew what he was thinking, even though I had no idea what he was thinking, but I had projected it. And then this elderly man comes up and another folk, another guy came up to speak and I'm not using a microphone, nobody could hear him. I'm irritated with you too. And he sat down and then this elderly fellow came up, sweet man. I said, are you a coach? He goes, what's that? I said, are you a coach also? He goes, well, yes, I am. Sweet man. I said, are you going to bully me like the others? Or something like that. I can't remember. There was an uncomfortable giggle, much like you experienced here. (laughs) But he changed the tone of the time. And it was precious. And it set the stage for all these young people to come up and share. I was provoked. And I did not walk in love. There was no fragrance from that action of mine. That would have drawn anyone. 
I close with this as we prepare for communion. And I said this at Bob's graveside service. I miss him. I miss him. I was touched at Jerry's funeral. And the verse I used at Jerry's passing was Ecclesiastes 7 1. I used that for Bob at his graveside service. Ecclesiastes 7 1 says, A good name. He had a good name. Robert Roy Gainsley. And the reason why I say it's a good name is I'm Robert Roy. Walter McCoy. Robert Roy Gainsley. Scripture says, Ecclesiastes 7, when a good name is like a precious fragrance. And better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth. You'd think Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, would have said something a little more profound. It almost doesn't make sense. A good name is like a precious fragrance. Better is the day of a man's death than the day of his birth? Yes. Solomon was wise. Here's why. You're all born with a name. But we don't know what the fragrance of that name is until your death. You may have been named Adolf Hitler. And your name is a stench. Ted Bundy. Jeffrey Dahmer. Awful. Nobody's drawn to that name. They're repulsed by it. And it's declared at the day of a man's death. But Robert Roy Gainsley, the fragrance of that name was proven on the day of his death as this room was filled to capacity by people whose lives had been served by the sweet-smelling aroma of a sacrificed life. Live for the sake of students in that public school. He went through heartaches like you can't imagine and controversy through his seasons at 20 years at El Camino. <clears throat> Challenges unprecedented. And at a critical point in 2001, that's where our friendship began. When his heart was broken because he lost a teaching job because a student accused him of hitting him. And it was all the, all the students said it was ridiculous. All the players, all the coaches, all the families. He never got the chance to coach until these last two years. He never gave up on those kids. Never gave up. And they were drawn to this room by the smell of that name. Sacrifice. The sweet-smelling aroma of a man who walked in love. An imitator. A representative of his family. An imitator of God in Christ Jesus. He walked in love. How do you walk in love as sacrifice? You want to imitate it? It's real simple. Here it is. For God so loved the world he gave. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We mocked him, we spat upon him, we ridiculed him. And he loved us to our knees. And he says, come to me. 
All you who are burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden it is light. I've given my life as a ransom for the many. My blood was shed, my body was broken, and my blood was shed for the remission of your sins. I will pay the penalty for your failure. That you can be reconciled and have that agape and phileo love with the Father. And as you receive it, go out there and walk in love and give it. Let the world be drawn to the aroma of Christ in your life. And so for communion, we're going to do that together. We'll come and receive his love and we'll go and give it. We will walk in love. We will come and experience the aroma of that sacrifice and we will walk out and let the world smell the fragrance of Christ. Amen?